0: Good to be with you this morning. It's hard to imagine that it was five years ago that I came out here. Five years just went by like that, the blink of the like the blink of an eye. I remember, uh, I remember visiting my first time and walking down State Street, uh, seeing how pleasant this place was, seeing the beaches. I remember going with uh, Kyle and Pam. They took us, took me over to um, Wine Country. I was like, wow, I could. I could get used to this place. I remember uh, meeting the the elders at breakfast with Randy and Joyce, and Joyce made me gluten-free pancakes. Um, I remember walking. (laughs) I remember walking on the beach with them, and I thought, you know what? I could get used to this place. I think I, I could love this place, and I have. I have. Uh, I knew I'd love this place. But it catches me a little off guard of how much I would love this church and how much I love working with Kyle. Uh, It's been a wonderful season of being here, a wonderful season knowing you, and it's good to see the church grow over these years, not only in number, uh, but to see many of you just mature in your faith, to see new elders and deacons, to see new ministries and ministry leaders, uh, and to see the church in such a a healthy place uh, right now. I'll miss this place. We, we will miss this place. And we will miss you all deeply. Oh, well, if this is such a, a wonderful time and a wonderful place, if I love it, well, well Paul, why are you leaving? How about that? How about that? Yeah. And it's the reason, the reason we, we go, the reason I go, is the same reason I came. Because God leads. And I believe God led us here, and I believe God is leading us away He's leading Lizzie to cultivate her gifts in medicine at Vanderbilt, leading me to support my wife and God's purposes in her as he also works out his purposes in and through the two of us. We go into this season a little scared, a little afraid of the unknown. We don't have everything figured out, jobs, places to live. But we go with Jesus. And for that, we're thankful. It's a great comfort. And so I ask your prayer. I ask that you pray for us during this time. There's, like I said, there's a lot that's unknown. And as you, uh, as you miss us, pray for us. As we ache in our hearts for not being able to be with you and to worship with you. We will miss this place. Well, I, I need to preach. I need to preach. I need God's help in this task today. Would you pray with me? Amen. Our God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. Remake us and reshape us into the image of Christ, in and through your word, we pray. Amen. Over the past five years, I've gotten to know many of you, many of you very well, actually. And as I reflect on this time, I've wanted to step back and kind of pull myself up and have the bird's eye view and look to see, are there any patterns that keep happening again? Patterns of, of growth, of moving towards God? Or are there patterns of, of us moving away from God? Things that blind us from the, to, the, to the goodness of the gospel? Or things that open up our eyes to see the beauty of God and his good news? What are those? As I've thought of, in my own life, I see one force at work. Constantly and consistently, and that forces entropy. Entropy, this, this slow move from, disor- or from order to disorder, from intentionality, the intended direction to an unintended direction. An example of this is me learning guitar scales. There are days that I sit down, and I'm like, I am going to get better at the guitar, and I pull out my guitar and I start learning scales, and I'm, like, I'm going to practice the scale every day. And I do. For three days. I exaggerate. Maybe for one day. And very quickly, that that, that goal, that intended goal, starts to go a different direction. It's the same thing with working out. There are seasons where I'm like, I am going to work out. Kyle and I were like, we're going to hit it. Four days a week, we're there. And after like two days, Kyle's still going to the gym, and I'm not. Uh, Entropy sets in. And it doesn't happen just in those areas. Sadly, it happens in the way that I love God as well. I intend so much to love Him. Here's this beautiful, all-satisfying, the gracious and compassionate God, the one who fills our deepest desires, who covers sins and loves us despite our flaws. He's the one I long to love. And yet I see that same entropy pulling my heart away slowing my zeal. I intend to love so much, and yet I see how easily my love drifts. And I know that you can relate. This entropy is felt by every one of us. I heard a story, not many of the details are known about the encounter, but it went something like this. It was in the late 1800s, no, 18th century, 1700s, a man named Robert Robert, Robinson boarded a carriage and on that day he hoped that it could be a solitary ride. However, once inside, a a woman also boarded the carriage to share it. She sat across the aisle from him wearing a long dress and a gleeful smile. He sat in stark opposition sullen and weary. In her hand, sitting on the folds of her dress, she held a book of poetry and prayers that was common for many Christians at the time to carry with. And after a long period of silence, this woman looked at Robinson and plunged this book across the aisle and said, you have to read this. You just must read this. He looked down at the book and read the words Come thou fount of every blessing. Robinson's disposition lifted. She said, Sir, do you know these words? He replied, Ma'am, I know these words well. I wrote these words myself many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to feel now as I felt back then. How could it be that this man who wrote such a beloved hymn could after years have such a cold, cold heart? And how tragic that his own words had come true. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And we sing those words, and I know that when you sing that, it resonates in some way in your heart, as I know it does in mine. And so the author of Hebrews addresses this. He says, we must pay pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. And we can so easily drift away. Uh, One pastor put it this way. He asked, if a boat is not tied down, what does it take for you to drift away? Nothing. If a boat is left to the current, it will drift. And so also, if you are simply left to the current, you will drift. So will I. If we do nothing, we will drift. So if this is an ongoing problem, it needs an ongoing solution. But thankfully, our God is good. He knows our problems. He meets us in our needs and our weakness. He knows the struggles and always provides a way forward. And so it also is here with entropy. Let's consider Uh, today, this text that we heard read from Colossians 3. I'll put it up on the screen here. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, There are three categories of songs up there, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's unclear what those mean exactly, but it at least means that they're Christian songs that include the psalms. But let's follow Paul's logic here. Uh, I want to point out one key thing. Uh, He is encouraging the message of Christ, that is the gospel, this good news to dwell and flourish in you, to stave off entropy, we could say. And somehow this gospel dwelling richly is accomplished by teaching and admonishing one another. The verbs here imply that it's this Ongoing kind of teaching and admonishing. This is a normative, continual practice for any Christian to teach and admonish one another. But know what Paul surprisingly says next. Uh, if you're looking at the ESB, I think it's a little more blurry as to what the, the Greek implies, but at the NIV, I think, gets it. This teaching is done through Psalms, hymns. And songs from the Spirit. These thoughts are linked. One of the primary ways we teach and admonish one another, and one of the primary ways we keep from drifting away from the gospel is actually by singing to one another. By singing. And this is a gift of God. It's the way that the Holy Spirit ordinarily works in our lives. And so if if psalms are to be a regular part of how we are to teach and admonish each other, of how we're to ensure the message of Christ bears much richness in our lives, then what is the big message of psalms? What is it? What What is the thing we keep saying over and over? So today we're going to ask that. We're going to consider five significant recurring words in the psalms. I didn't make them up. There will be common to you. But there are five words that we are to sing to each other. Five words that we are to preach to one another. Five words that regardless of where you live or when you live throughout history, that we are to sing to one another. These are what God's people proclaim to one another regularly. And this ordinary, repetitive practice is actually a way that God forms our deepest desires. It's a way that actually helps us love him with all our hearts, souls, mind, and strength. A boat can indeed drift away if untied. But a boat will not drift far if it is tied to a cleat. It will not drift far if tied to a cleat. These words of Psalms sung to one another are the ropes that keep us from drifting away. They are God's grace. And like Robinson said, "Let thy grace now like a feather, bind my wandering heart to thee to thee." I pray that these words will indeed bind our hearts to God and His good news. Well let's consider the first word. The first word that we see again and again in the psalms is, "Come. come." Psalm 95 says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our Lord, our maker. Why does the Psalms say, come? Because so often, we don't. We are wandering children that are prone to wander. In fact, the next verse goes on to say, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. And when I hear that, I think of these beautiful pastoral scenes of sheep frolicking in the pastures, and think, like, the Lord is my shepherd, and I have the image from my little children's Bible. I'm like, where does a badge of honor? I am a sheep! But to be called a sheep is not a compliment. Sheep are notoriously stupid. Sheep get lost. They keep getting lost over and over again. And we are sheep. We ordinarily, we'd ordinarily wander. And so we ordinarily need people to sing to one up to us, sing to each other, sing to us, come, come, return to the Lord. Now, some of you might be too distracted to come. You might be uh, caught up in other things, important things. Entropy has set in and you're pulled off of the course that you intended. You need others to say, come, return. Others of you feel disqualified to come. You feel like a fraud or a failure. You know your addiction. You know your sexual history, your anger, your manipulation or whatever else. You feel unwelcome to come to God. But hear this, you may have disqualified yourself, but God in Christ qualifies you, and he invites you to come. Jesus told a parable, perhaps you've heard it, it was about a prodigal son. A child who took his inheritance early and he squandered away in foolish and shameful living. Uh, That left him destitute, so much so that he longed to eat the food from the pig pen. And with deep regret, he returned to his father, who welcomed him home with an outlandishly rich celebration. I think the best way to actually read this story is that as soon as we finish it, we should read it again. As though the prodigal son decide to leave another time. Would the father welcome me back again? In fact, I think the best way to read it is read it 70 times in a row. 170 times in a row. Would the father welcome him then? Perhaps then we would finally get it through our thick heads that God invites wanderers home. He invites the distracted and the disqualified to come. God loves to welcome drifters. He says, come, and that's why we see it over and over in the Psalms. Come, that's why we say it every week at the beginning of our worship service. Come. I heard a story recently of a a runaway child. And as could be expected, uh, her mother frantically tried to find her. She put up posters and asked friends. She called every organization imaginable in order to find her missing daughter. Finally, out of desperation, she tried something unusual. Uh, Rather than putting a picture of her daughter up saying, does anyone see her, she took a photo of her own face, the mother's face, and put it on hundreds and hundreds of posters and put them up all over the city. And under her picture, she wrote the words, whatever you've done, wherever you are, you are still loved. Come home. You will wander. You will drift. But may we be people in the art gallery, in the sanctuary, before church or during communion, at breakfast with your children or in the brewery with friends. May we be the kind of people that when one of us drifts, we say, whatever you have done and wherever you are, you are still loved by God. Come home. Let's pray. No, just kidding. Um, We we have four more points. Come. This is one of the regular things in in the Psalms. But the next thing we hear is cry. Cry to the Lord. Psalm 34, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. One of the things we see throughout the Psalms are examples of people crying out. At times it's People crying out for mercy, we call it confession. At times it's calling out, uh, crying out to God for help, and we call it lament. But it is always crying out to the Lord, the one who is able to help. Uh, do you remember that old commercial for the life alert button? It showed this elderly lady in her home laying on the floor, and she said the famous line, I've fallen and I can't get up. Uh, The ad promoted this button that you could wear that uh, should you ever encounter medical troubles, you could just simply press the button and it would bring help. The Psalms remind us that we have a life alert button with us. His name is Yahweh. He's our strength and our shield, our refuge and our deliverer, our protector and our ever-present help. In times of trouble, the Lord loves saving. He loves answering your cries for help. You know the biggest problem with the life alert button? Many people forgot to push the button. For whatever reason, they forgot to push the button. Or others thought that their situation wasn't severe enough to push the button. Are you pushing the button? Are you crying out to the Lord? Are you asking His help And I hope that our singing, I think Paul would say, I hope that our singing helps encourage us to actually cry out to the Lord and to do so with honesty. God, help in my depression where my tears are with me day and night. Help. God, help me when I keep falling into addiction. Help me. God, where are you when my prayers seem unanswered? Have you forgotten me? Help. God, where are you when 50 people bearing your image are gunned down in Orlando? Help. Psalms call us to bring our deepest parts to the Lord. The confession, the confusion, and even the complaints. Cry to the Lord, because we just heard, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. The Lord loves to help. Now, if we only come and cry to God, we will grow calloused. And this is why we remind one another to cry out in a way that we might remember. Third word, remember. Third word, over and over in the Psalms, remember. Psalm 143, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. A call to remember is an oft-repeated theme of the Bible because we forget so quickly. We don't remember. Uh, when I was in college, I, uh, I got a concussion from playing frisbee. That's a whole other story. Uh, I'll save for another time, but one of the effects was this mild amnesia, and I remember studying for my midterm exam, and I had the list of questions, and then I had my books and notes, and I read the first question, like, figure out this, such and such. It's like, all right. like What was that question? Like, figure out such... All right. What was that question again? And I went back and forth a while, before I finally realized that something had happened to my memory and I could not remember for short periods of time. I was not remembering the very thing I needed to remember the most. I love Deuteronomy 6. It's a, it's a, it's a passage where God actually assumes that we will be forgetful. Hear, O Lord... Oh, sorry, here, O oh Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Like everywhere, talk about this. Uh, and you shall bind them. As a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Essentially, God is saying, put sticky notes everywhere that you remember to love me with all your heart. Whatever it takes, remember. It's a reason that we have songs as well. Later in Deuteronomy, as the people of Israel are about to cross into the promised land, God gives Moses a song to sing. Why? Because he knows that the people of Israel are entering into a place where they will encounter such richness, such richness, such wealth, that they will be prone to forgetting their God. And so he gives a song that they might not forget. And we sing songs like this as well. We will remember, we will remember. Or we'll sing like Psalm, we actually sing Psalm 107, this, this long song that, that talks about different seasons in Israel's history when they were in need and cried out to help. And God helped them. He provided again and again. And we sing, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. We were wandering and lost. But our Father brought us home to a safe dwelling place to a feast of joy and laughter. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Amid our forgetfulness, we sing. We sing that we might remember that indeed the Lord is good. That the Lord never forgets us. That we might forget him, but he never forgets us. That his love is ours no matter what. We sing to remember it. We sing to help us remember. But simply to remember probably isn't enough either. If we want to be very frank, we could probably say, you know, that even the devil remembers the things that God does. But we're to remember actually to have something happen in our hearts. We're to remember to actually have a response. Remembering is a pathway, but it's only a pathway. It's an essential pathway to trusting. Trust, the fourth word. This is another theme we see over and over in the Psalms. And as God's people would sing together, they would sing to each other, Oh, trust in the Lord. It was even in the reading that that, uh, Ray read earlier. Put your hope in the Lord. Psalm 115 says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Psalms call us to trust in God. God is not simply interested in our songs. He wants our hearts and our lives not to just remember, but to respond in faith, to trust in the Lord, to rest our lives in the Lord. I had a friend who, uh, who climbed El Cap, the big, big rock face in Yosemite, 3,000 feet tall, this huge rock face that, that rises out of the floor. When I say he climbed, he didn't like hike up to the top. He rock climbed, the front of it. It's this multi-day climb. Because a multi-day climb, it means you have to sleep on the side of it. You, you, you roll out a cot and tie the cot with the rope to the rock and lay down and rest. And as horrific as that sounds to me, being afraid of heights, my friend slept just fine. Resting all night with this incredible, Incredible and precarious drop. And you know why? Because he trusted his cot. He rested in that cot. The only way to, tr- to truly rest is to trust. If he did not have a trustworthy cot, he wouldn't have rested. He wouldn't have lived either. If he did not trust his cot, he wouldn't have rested. Trusting Something that is trustworthy leads us to actually rest, but trusting anything else leads us to restlessness. So when it comes to the most important areas of our lives, we need to ask, what are we trusting in? What are we resting in? The Psalms say, trust the Lord. Our rest isn't found in achievement or respect. Our rest isn't found in people-pleasing or financial security. Our rest isn't even found in a spouse or a parent or a child. Our rest is found only in the Lord. And St. Augustine reminds us, Our hearts are restless until they rest in Thee. Do you want rest? Then trust in the Lord. Remind one another to trust in the Lord. Like we sing Psalm 23, and I will trust in you alone, and I will trust in you alone, for your endless mercy follows me, your goodness will lead me home. We sing songs to help us trust, to help one another trust in the Lord. And I hope at this point you're starting to notice a pattern. Come, cry, remember, trust. Come, cry, remember, trust. This is what we do every single week when we come to worship. There's a call to worship saying, Come, wherever you are, you're invited, come. Again, cry out to the Lord. Whether it's through lament or confession, cry out to him. Turn your care, Bring your cares and bring them to the Lord. Pour your heart out to him. And then remember, remember his grace through the assurance of pardon. Remember through the confession of faith. And then trust. Give your lives to him. Listen to the sermon. Give money that you could have spent on something else, like, I don't know, whatever else you want to buy, but like... But we entrust that to the Lord, saying, not my will be done, but yours. Your kingdom purposes are actually bigger and greater than mine. This is what we do every single week. And this process, these words, these songs we sing over and over again are meant to lead us to one thing. To praise the Lord. And that's the final word, praise. The last sentence, the last verse of of the psalms says let everything that has breath praise the lord praise the lord the word praise this is used far more than all those other words combined this is, hands down, the most important message of the book of Psalms. If we were to take Paul's word to heart to teach one another using Psalms, then the most common thing that we would remind one another to do is to praise the Lord. God wants us to praise Him. But isn't that selfish of God? Come and praise me. Come and praise me. If I said, come and praise me... That would be selfish and wrong. How come it's okay for God to do it? C.S. Lewis suggested that it's okay for him because of the intrinsic value. The intrinsic value of God. A bland and insufficient meal does not deserve praise. But a rich, flavorful, filling meal prepared by a superb chef, now that deserves some praise. God deserves praise. God is the most deserving of praise. It's right for him to say, come and praise me, because he is the most praiseworthy thing. It's also right to praise God because he is the most enjoyable thing. He says praise him because it's the best possible thing, and it's the best thing for me and you. One way to say this is that praise completes our enjoyment. A couple of years ago, Liz and I went and saw *The Lion King* on Broadway, and it blew my mind. The costumes and the music, and just the the whole production together, was incredible. Incredible. Uh, I enjoyed it so thoroughly, we came out, and I just couldn't stop talking about it. And for days, I couldn't stop talking about it. And I loved the music so much, I had to call my dad, who's a musician, and talk about the music with him just to revel in how good it was. And my enjoyment of The Lion King on Broadway would have been far less if I couldn't have shared it, if I couldn't have praised that experience. You know, it's one thing to to hear a good song or see a beautiful sunset, but it's another to do it with someone else so that you can praise it together. You don't fully enjoy a sunset unless you're able to tell someone about it. The only way to enjoy fully is to praise. Praise completes our enjoyment. That's why throughout the Bible, praising often falls right next to rejoicing because they're so linked And praising God together is the height of enjoyment. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so ultimately, the Psalms help us to reorder our desires. They call us to see the most valuable things as valuable, the most enjoyable things as enjoyable, and then they call us to enjoy. Come and enjoy. If you don't consider God as valuable or worthy of praise, not only will praise seem unenjoyable, the vision of eternity will seem boring and make absolutely no sense. Maybe we should even avoid it. But if God is infinitely valuable, if he is infinitely beautiful and infinitely enjoyable, then the picture of heaven is better than seeing the Lion King on Broadway or whatever else it might be. Every single night. Our praise is a particip- participation with the heavenly act. It's a foretaste of what is to come when we will praise and when we will enjoy and when we will feast in the house of Zion. Do you have breath? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Five words, come, cry, remember, trust, and praise. Five words that we together have been, are, and will continue to sing to one another so that the love of God might be known in our hearts and that we might love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, as my season of ministry here comes to a close, I leave you with a very ordinary thing. Singing gospel-filled songs. God uses songs to bind our wandering hearts to him. And he uses songs to point us to the greatest joys. And I am confident that just like the Apostle Paul said, that God will use your songs to enable the message of his grace to dwell in you richly, both now and forever. God our Father, by your Spirit, continue to use our songs and voices not only to bind our wandering hearts to you, but to also awaken our desires that we might enjoy you with the fullest sense of joy. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.